0: Hey guys, Tom Terwilliger here with Epic Men Radio, rattling the cages and reigniting the entrepreneurial fire. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wished you had the foresight to recognize the immersion of a hot new trend or an early growth period in a particular industry and then kind of hitched your gutsy idea or your innovation to that wagon? How many apps, for example, would, would either not exist at all or have gone absolutely nowhere had it not been for the meteoric growth of the iPhone, for example? Now, how do we spot these trends? How do we start them? And where can we find the guts in ourselves to make it work for us? We're going to talk about that with our special guest on this episode of Epic Men Radio.
1: Rattling the cage and reigniting the fire. You're listening to Epic Men Radio. That's how does.
0: Once a week, Travis and I... We like to interview a hot new guest who has not only the experience and the, and the kind of entrepreneurial courage and growth that exemplifies that Epic Men, the Epic Men status, but also has the desire to share with others his experience or her experience for that matter. And not only that, but part the curtain on how they did it, where they started and how you can find the ability within yourself to do exactly the same thing in your own life. And our guest today, you know, 12 years ago, probably less than that, this guy was selling t-shirts from the trunk of his car at bloody and barely organized underground fight competition. Today, he's the founder of one of the most recognized brands in the fastest growing sport in the world. And if you're not familiar with MMA, mixed martial arts, or the UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, then you've had your head in the sand, or you've been put into a chokehold, man, and you're out for the count tap out today the most recognized brand in that community is i think it was recently sold for 20 million dollars our guest is the founder of that company dan Punkass caldwell so first dan man let me thank you for joining us you're you're, you're actually not that easy to get a hold of and grab hold of it's part of it is probably your martial arts background you can't get a hold of you man but i want to thank you so much for taking the time i know you're extraordinarily busy brother no, thanks for having me on, Tom. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. Absolutely. I knew you were going to bring some real value because, I've, you know, it's, it, it's so fascinating how these things come around because first, obviously I became aware of Tap Out, the brand Tap Out, for being number one, a big MMA fan, a UFC fan, having, you know, been a practitioner. I certainly would never get in a ring with any of those guys. I'd be done in about five seconds, but certainly a long time, lifelong martial arts practitioner. So began following that. In fact, I saw the first – UFC fight and it was so fascinating because it was so different then wasn't it I mean it was you know you had the you had the sumo guy versus the karate guy it was actually pretty fun and you were around for all that growth as well but I began to see the immersion of the tap out brand along the way and then here's something interesting and you may or may not know this is that um one of the things that also made me aware of you personally Dan was that uh, in Tony Robbins He did in a commercial not that long ago called The Edge. You remember that? Yes. And, of course, almost all our listeners are familiar with, uh, with who Tony Robbins is. And The Edge was one of his uh, most recent programs. And he featured a number of people in that Edge commercial that was an infomercial. You were one of them. I was one of them as well. In fact, I was just before you. And then they had a great story about Dan Caldwell, punk ass man. So it was like I started to figure out who you were at that point, that you were the founder. Then... Out of the blue, my dear friend uh, Jerry Gladstone writes a book called The Common Thread. And The Common Thread is a great book, and it features both you and I. So we're we're kindred spirits, you might say. (laughs) So I had to track you down, man. I had to track you down and do this interview with you for that and for several other reasons, which we're going to talk about. So, guys, we're going to share some really great stuff. But first thing, I want to ask you about the nickname. Because I think – and by the way, let me ask you this first you prefer to be called Dan or Punk Ass? Oh, yeah.
1: You can call me Dan. There's kind of a transition going on. Oh, awesome. I, uh, my parents never liked the name Punk Ass. And I, <laughs> I
0: can imagine
1: it. why. <laughs> so, I guess I'm, I'm, um, I'm kind of using the Dan name more these days. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I can't say that I blame you, man. I, I sold my – I had an, an old Willys Jeep, and I love this thing. You know, it was just awesome. It was great, but it had no heat. And I've been driving that thing for years. And it, it's sort of one of the things. That it's, like, it's like okay, now it's time for a grown-up vehicle, man. Yeah, right. You're in your fifties. It's time for. a, So I yeah. traded it and bought a Mercedes. I'm like driving like an old man now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I uh, know.
1: Right. I'm doing that now. I'm like I had a I have a '63 Impala and uh, and a
0: uh, and I I sold an H1 Hummer for the same reason. It's, just growing up a little bit. It's time, man. And you're a family man as well, aren't you? How many How many children you have? Three. Three kids. Yep. Yeah, it's time to grow up, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
1: And the motorcycle, too, has got to go. Oh, man. All the the good ones.
0: That'll be the last for me because here's here's how I'm going out, man. I'm going out with arthritis. I'm bent over. I can't hardly walk anymore. I don't even know my own name. But I'm going to have enough to be able to throttle that bad boy up and take it over some cliff here in Colorado. That's am not it's
1: Ferrari ended. though. I'm drawing the line
0: there. I like it. I like it. So let's, do, let's go back then. Let's step back yeah. then because obviously you're transitioning away from that particular nickname, but, but let's talk about how that began. Where was that? Was that, was that just something from your childhood? Was it a strategic component of the growth of the brand itself tap out? Uh, well, it was,
1: so in high school, I was a skater kind of a punk skater and you know, I ran a, like a Mohawk and a, and i kind of i, I mean, we had, went through a lot of I, I sometimes i look at my pictures from high school and i'm like how was i this this and i was somewhere in the somewhere in 12th grade i became a metalhead yeah somewhere at the beginning i was a punker and somewhere in the middle i was like this new wave kind of weird hair looking dude <laughs> so it's it's been it's been kind of all over the place and uh i'm i was you know high school you're always trying to figure yourself out oh yeah and i when i was a skater i uh, they started calling me punk ass and I don't know where the nickname started. I don't even know how it got started, but that was just, that was the nickname. And I got tattooed on my lip and I didn't want my mom to see. So the only way I could do it is tattooed on the inside of my lip. So I was like, cool. Cause I had a tattoo on the inside of my lip and no one could, but, but,
0: uh, but those who you wanted to see it,
1: you could, yeah, you could yeah. Yeah. I never, I never want, I was always scared that my, you know, of course this, punk rocker always scared that his parents were gonna see it one day and uh and i remember the first time my mom ever saw me with a tattoo because i had i got a tattoo on one of my arms she cried (laughs) i was like
0: well i'm glad she didn't see the one on my lip oh man well you know what i mean we we we, you know both in many respects you know my my i've only got one tattoo and it's the same thing it's like we were very fortunate to have parents that cared yeah we were doing it we were defacing our bodies for that matter so just assuming it hurt like hell how was it, did it hurt like sin getting that on there
1: you know it wasn't it didn't really hurt that bad it was more uh it, it kind of felt like somebody was filleting your lip so you didn't you didn't like the way it felt but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily pain it was more of kind of like that squirmish feeling like I kept asking, is my lip like cutting open? You know, are you seeing the-? that's what it felt like that yeah. my lip was cutting open? And uh, but he was like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, man. I don't worry right. about it. That's when the tattoo artists used to be real hardcore and they would tell you to shut up and sit back in your seat. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I was more scared than anything else.
0: <laughs> you know, it's he's interesting and again
1: with yeah. a scar on his face, and he's like, it, that I mean, seriously, that's who it was. He had a big, I'm a big earring in his chin mm. scar on his face and hair all crazy like and a big dude you know probably 240 pounds or yeah. something and he and all tattooed mm-hmm. up and he's just like sit
0: down shut up you're fine
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know i don't know if i ever want to get tattooed by a guy like that because there's no backing out yeah like, but he's a cool guy to we're, go, today. Yeah. we're,
1: we're uh, he's done a bunch of my tattoos now one of my artists who right out of jail did a tattoo on did his first like not first but one of his first tattoos right out of jail on me and he ultimately became like one of this uh, uh, uh an amazing tattoo artist who has a few different shops now and they fly him all over the world wow. to do tattoos he's booked for three years you know mm. flies, they fly him to germany on like a regular basis. every time i see him he's in germany <laughs> and 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 he started off with this little crappy tattoo i don't know if you can see it this little well where go? a little crappy tattoo right here well that's this, the one that's the
0: one he gave right it right there yeah
1: and he, very cool and he's even touched this up since then so it didn't even look this good when, <laughs> when he first did it and and now he's like this amazing artist who's
0: mm. just insane some of his tattoo work is crazy well i'm i'm thinking if he can do it jailhouse style with the type of tools that they use there and do something remotely decent given the right tools. And again, I think, you know, a lot of it is, and this, this plays a role in what we want to talk about in terms of business and growth and, and, uh, and talent, but it's certainly not exclusive to it. Is that, you know, like my brother, my brother's been a great artist. He's always been a great artist. Like he could draw it away and we were kids. I mean, he was just like amazing, you know? So when you take that talent, you can almost transfer it to almost any canvas or any modality. You know, I, I guess uh, uh, great musicians. I mean, it's like, how does a great musician, just because he plays a guitar, know how to play the fiddle, know how to play the bass drum? It, it drums? I mean, it's just like they have this particular talent. It can lend itself. So someone like your friend who did that, that ink has been able to really kind of cultivate that God-given talent and move it into something where he's learned the art itself, learned the techniques and the strategies. And uh, once you do that, man, when you combine those two things – I want to come back and in, 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 uh, do a 180 on this a little bit later and talk about the meaning or the frame that you kind of created for those tattoos. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got the neck tattoos and stuff, and there's judgment around that, obviously. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the traditional business world, the community, you want to go out and get a job, there's judgment around all that. So we're going to come back and full circle around that or so. So let me jump off from there. Do you think or do you believe at some point that you were given something that's different something that's extraordinary because you've you've achieved a level of success that almost anyone would want to strive for particularly in the entrepreneurial community so were you given a set of gifts in that respect i mean obviously like all entrepreneurs you were you were given all the advantages you attended an ivy league school you were you you were raised capital very easily i mean this is pretty much the entrepreneurial path right right you have all those things and were there any other God-given talents involved in that? <laughs> um, well, you know, like I
1: think like most entrepreneurs, you know, and I don't really believe in that too much. I a lot of people say that, that you know, that people get God-given talent. And I think what they do get is maybe they get a little twist in their IQ. They get a little better, you know, memory or something like that. But for the most part, I don't think anybody's really born with the ability to go play a piano or, you uh, be the best basketball player in the world. I mean you have guys like I mean if people want to say that the best basketball player in the world would probably You know arguably be Michael Jordan And I mean that's the same guy that got cut from his high school basketball team sure. So you can't say that this guy grew up being the best basketball player in the world And I don't believe none of us are born like that. I mean, I know I wasn't And you know, there were a lot of circumstances that got us there and a lot of things that had to, had to line up but um, growing up, I I think it was just I, I was lucky enough to be born to a good family, um, so I didn't have those challenges. I didn't have the ch- and and other people have other challenges, but I I didn't have that challenge. I my my parents were great parents. I did I wasn't ever really pushed by my parents though growing up, so I wasn't like pushed in a way that. Uh, you hear about other entrepreneurs always having to be the best and, I, you know, trying to perform for their parents who were really critical of them. I never had that with my parents. They were always kind of the, you know, you did good enough. I pushed myself. I, I became, I, I was kind of frustrated with the fact that I didn't have that because I saw other people have that in their family mm-hmm. and I read about other people that had that. And I wanted to have that. I wanted to be pushed. And I, did, I felt like nobody was pushing me. So I, I always pushed myself. I always tried to outdo myself, if you will. Mm-hmm. When you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to – I saw what my parents were living like, and I knew it was a hard life. And we grew up in a really gang-ridden neighborhood, kind of an all-black neighborhood that was having a lot of problems at the time. My mom grew up in the same house that I grew up in. And when she was – I think she moved in that house when she was 12 – And it was a nice neighborhood at that time. And then uh, over time became kind of this gang-ridden neighborhood, Mm. especially during the early 80s when a lot of the Crips and the Bloods started moving out to San Bernardino. Mm. And ultimately, when I graduated, San Bernardino was the murder capital of the United States, uh, per capita. So uh, our neighborhood became like one of the worst neighborhoods in San Bernardino. And we were having so many drive-bys, they would like block off our neighborhood and anybody driving down our street, they would, I mean, there would be cops sitting on both sides of that street and they would check you coming in, making mm. sure you lived in the neighborhood. Cause we we're having so many drive-bys wow. and shootings. And you know, me and my brother had been in a shootout in front of our house with somebody breaking into one of our cars. And that was in high school. And, um, ultimately my mom got mugged out in front of our house. Wow. Right in front and, of the house. Yeah, yeah. Right in front of the house. And we'd been in different altercations and things, but I, I, I never felt like in danger. You know, everybody always thinks that you're, you're, Oh man, it must've been horrible. Like you're scared to walk outside. It was Mm -hmm. never like that. I know Mm -hmm. we, we walk outside, play out in the front yard, never felt like in danger. It was just, things would happen here and there. Hmm. You know, it was that neighborhood happened. You know, there'd be a drive by, there'd be a robbery across the street. You know, two guys would walk by and try to, you know, start a fight with you. Just like little things would happen, but never scared me to the point where I felt like I was in danger. Mm. And you'd, We'd walk around late at night. You know, it was back when, nowadays, I can't even imagine letting my kids run around outside by themselves, um, you know, late at night. Much less
0: that neighborhood.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And especially, and we live in a nice neighborhood, I wouldn't do it. Um, I I can remember walking home from my friend's house. It was at the end of the block, probably at one o'clock in the morning, you know, when I was
2: 15 Mm -hmm. years old.
1: Uh, I would at 15 years old, I wouldn't let my daughter do that. So I, uh, you know, it was just a different time and, and we didn't have a lot of money and Mm. cockroaches in the house and embarrassed to bring any of my friends home. And I remember being really embarrassed to have any of my friends come over to my house. So I would always go over to their houses. And I think that was the driving factor for me, just wanting a better life for my family, for my friends, for my, for my, you know, the family that I was going to have my parents, I felt embarrassed for my parents. I remember a couple times just feeling the um, my mom being embarrassed in front of her uh, about her friends no, you know, coming over to the house. So she was like, "Oh, well, let's go over to their house and we'll meet them over there," mm, you know. And mm-hmm, it just, mm-hmm. even as a little kid, as a ten-year-old, that you sense that. Oh yeah. And and so I just always knew I was going to push myself to, to do something. I was going to make money. I was going to build a company. I was going to build a business. And early on, I was starting little businesses. I equated that value to, A, I could sell something and make money for that. And I was doing little carnivals and stuff where kids around the block would come over and I'd set up this, like, all these different carnival. Uh, me and my brother would set up these carnival, um, like, uh, attractions where you could, throw things and try to knock things down yeah yeah you know try to catch something in the water we'd set up a little pool and you'd like have a fishing pole and you know try to if you caught a certain thing you would get the prize and you'd charge them like a quarter for each one and i did a magic show when i got a little bit you know i was probably like 12 years old i did like a magic show in front of my house for (laughs) and charged like a dollar a piece for all these people And i had like the whole neighborhood there it was pretty cool
0: that is really cool. So that's really kind of where the, the early entrepreneurial spirit came from in many respects. Because obviously you must have seen some rewards from that. And I think when we do that early on, when we take those little risks, and that can, listen, that takes some courage. That takes some risk. A lot of kids would be a little bit shy about doing those kind of things unless they had the kind of motivation you had. So, you know, I, and it's so interesting because we look back at our history. There are, there are always going to be things that we, you know, we'd love to have changed or, or different or uh, had a different experience, but man, it's what those things at home that you were a little embarrassed to bring friends to and your parents were a little embarrassed to host company or have dinners at, you know, kind of created that motivation in many respects. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, even, even with the spark of entrepreneurial spirit and the desire to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to change these circumstances. Someday I'm going to take control of this and do some and, and be better than what these circumstances are. Um, can also build into someone a lot of insecurities. And you talk about, in fact, in the book, which is great, by the way, if, uh, guys, if you want to read a little bit more about Dan Caldwell and so many other great names, pick up the common thread. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon, the common thread. And, you, and it's great because your story in here is fantastic. Yeah, uh, the old man read uh, Reading Glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you talk about when I finally got the courage to attempt something, I was worried that I was going to fail. I overcompensated in every way, every way you said. So let's talk about overcoming insecurity because I think even entrepreneurs who start businesses have a level of insecurity that, you know, that, hey, I can start this because they're motivated. They want something different. They're not cut out to be an employee or to work for somebody else. They want to change their, their circumstances and their conditions. But sometimes insecurities can come along slap them in the face when they least expect it even during periods of growth and then they wind up sabotaging many respects let's talk about overcompensating and some of the insecurities that you had to overcompensate for as you came along
1: yeah I think I think everybody has insecurities I, I, I hate when people perpetrate that it's you know that you have these entrepreneurs that just go into a situation have all the answers and and you know these early entrepreneurs now Later down the road, you still have insecurities, but you get past a lot of that stuff mm. because you 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 can go back and recall a time that you had a you you were dealing with a problem like this and you you handled it right, right. away. So you have this recall that allows you to get past those insecurities a lot quicker now. But back then, um, I always you know I always felt like, hey man, who am I from San Bernardino? Nobody's ever come from San Bernardino. No big entrepreneurs that ever come from San. Bernardino, well, except for. Uh, Ray Kroc in the in the 1950s when he Mm. started McDonald's that was the first McDonald's in San Bernardino and the health San
0: Bernardino Bernardino at the time was a way different place than it was when you were living there
1: yeah I mean it was yeah it was like competing with you know LA and these Mm -hmm. suburbs of LA Uh, now there's tons of those they're everywhere you know you have a a lot of smaller cities and um, and I just always uh, you know anybody would have those same things I'm sure it's even worse if you're in Iowa and you're I mean the further from LA or New York you get, the more you feel like this is smaller and smaller and who's gonna listen to me. Mm. And 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 I felt I felt a lot of that. And and I'd smart I had started with like a lot smaller dream too. So we had started like, hey, let's just keep putting one foot in front of the other. But we believe this could be big and uh and you know and, and it happened it, it started to build and you get these little wins that you get under your belt and it starts to build your confidence you know every little tiny win that you have you start to feel like hey man i, I we did that that was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what was that we were going to do and then you start to build confidence from that and you move put the next foot forward and you keep moving forward and and you just got to believe that i think i think a lot of what I needed by reading other people's books and and, and not unlike the common thread, which is mm. a really, really, really good book for that because you'd get to hear so many stories from other people. All I wanted to hear was the only thing I wanted to hear from all these biographies I was reading at the time and autobiographies and different um, um, motivation, self-help books that I was, I was, I was trying to read all the books. All I wanted to hear was how somebody had triumphed from being where they were, this guy who didn't have, you know, I wanted to hear that story, that hero's journey, that Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of money, didn't have any resources, you know, didn't have maybe a great idea at the beginning and turn that into something incredible. And I wanted to hear that hero's journey. And and I would hear that over and over and that's what would give me the confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love these podcasts so much because people get to hear those over and over and over again from people. And sometimes that's all people need. Yeah. it, I mean, the thing is, none of us are going to lose. I mean, unless we give up, we're not going to. We're not going to just be. We're not going to be failures. If we just keep moving forward, we're going to build something. It may not be to. It may exceed our expectations, or it may not quite exceed our, our expectations. But whatever it is, we're going to be somewhere better than where we were. Um, and I, I, even when I build companies that have failed, I felt like I was excited about. I was. I was. I was. Saddened by the failure. I was saddened that we had to close our doors, but mm-hmm. I was excited about what we built. We did a lot of great things when we built that company. I mean, I can remember, I'm just thinking of a company, off one of the small companies I built was, uh, was an internet kids clothes company, clothing mm-hmm. company. And we had a lot of name brand stuff back when, like True Religion was big and Mech Denim was big. We were carrying those for kids, and they were really hard to find for kids at the time. You only had you had to go to, like only certain stores would carry mm-hmm. kid sizes, like little kid sizes, like infant sizes, <laughs> and uh, and you know all the way up to like uh, youth. So we were the one place that carried that. Well, uh, when two thousand eight happened, the whole market crashed. It, we 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 took it pretty hard, and like business went from. Dropped off like 85% and eventually uh, we had to close the doors to that company. But we did a lot of fun things when we I mean, we had a warehouse and a, and a shop and a, and we built a good back-end system, wow. created a music video, and we did some great marketing shoots. I learned a lot from building that company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would never walk away and say, hey, I, that was a failure. I, I, I closed the doors for economic reasons, but I learned so much from that from that you know, from that endeavor and, yeah. and
0: building that company. And, and I had fun doing it and I wouldn't change it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating too because, you know, and by the way, guys, when I when I said Ivy League education, found it easy to raise money, all the advantages, you know, that's exactly the opposite of what Dan's experience is. And certainly what the opposite of most entrepreneurs experience. This is why we're entrepreneurs, because we want to push ourselves. We want to drive ourselves. We don't take on those CEO jobs somewhere else for some other organization. We want to create and master our own destiny. And that's exactly what Dan did. And it's such a great, it's so great, number one, that you have become in many respects, and I'm sure you don't like to necessarily recognize yourself as such, but a member of that hero's journey tribe, because you came from almost nothing and built something that's extraordinary. But also the thing that I want people to take away from this is that, yes, man, you're going to fail. But like you said. You know, hey, it, it's not failure, it's feedback, and you learned something, you provided a service, and it helped become a, a springboard for what was next and gave you the confidence for what's next. But finding that confidence within those perceived failures is something else else again. What would you tell those entrepreneurs that have, uh, that have failed in the past, and I've failed several times in the past, and always gotten back up? But what would you tell those that have not gotten back up, that have just kind of like uh, – Hey, and maybe even they're doing it unconsciously. Maybe it was two years ago, three years ago, that business went under. We closed shop or maybe it was in 2008 and they just haven't been able to find the courage to kind of get going again. What would you say to them, man?
1: I think what they really need to do is reflect back about what they learned and about all the things that they got started because anybody who actually got that far, who was able to start their company and, 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 and get at least building starting to build their business go back look at your mistakes where were your mistakes i can go back and look at all my failed businesses mm. and i tell you exactly why they failed i know exactly why they failed i know what i did right and i definitely know what i did wrong so knowing that i know that now I, it's almost like a formula you know it's, it's just like baking you know if you put this in and you put that in and you do this and you're diligent about the time and you look at the that you're going to bake good goods you know, for the most part, every once in a while, you have some outside circumstances that you don't have control of, but for the most part, you're going to build something nice, mm. and uh, and that's how I feel about companies. I feel like that most of the time, there's a formula there, and when you really are – you have a great idea, and you put that together with some hard work and and some smarts and, and constant knowledge, you know, you have to keep finding that knowledge mm. to build better, and – you and you put all that together you're going to build a great a great company or at least something you're proud of now the results may vary you know somewhere you know i i didn't think we would ever build a half a billion dollar company i wasn't that wasn't in my mind when i was thinking we were going to build this company mm. early on later i started to see where this was going and i and you you extend your expectations you know where I was one I can remember thinking a million dollars was going to change my life you know like mm-hmm. this is it this is if we ever make a million bucks it's game on game over you know I close shop I'm going to buy an <laughs> island you know off of Fiji and you're going to have to find me yeah. uh, and then you realize how little a million dollars is and how it really won't take you for I remember the day that I had a million dollars wired to my account um, to my personal account and thinking that and it really did it was the life-changing money Mm -hmm. i mean once you have a million dollars in your account in your personal account your life will never be the same it's 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 life-changing but it it pushes you to 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 think bigger because once you see that and you're like oh okay i just paid half of my money to taxes and you're like okay (laughs) that's
0: right it dwindles one million isn't enough. I got. I'm definitely gonna have to be in the five to ten million. Well, especially once you've taken ownership of that, and it's taken away. And let's face it, hey, taxes taken away in many respects. Hey, granted, it, it's, it's whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Like when suddenly half of it's gone, you want that back, and that same mindset continues to want to continues to move you towards additional growth. So what we've been talking about up to this point is primarily your your roots your start into the entrepreneurial community and your belief in what can be achieved through experience along the way. But one of the things I want to talk about a little bit in mindset, regarding mindset, um, before we jump into more specifics in terms of the tap out growth and its evolution along the way and where it is today. But you had mentioned something a few moments ago about reading and listening to personal growth biographies, you name it, to kind of get that spark going and to learn a little bit about other people's heroes' journey and all those tools. And I know that you've uh, done some stuff with Tony Robbins as well, listening to some of his tapes and some of that kind of growth progress. And I know it's interesting as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneurial and small business coach myself, I did that for years. Uh, how many entrepreneurs small business owners don't even remotely dabble in those areas to find inspiration, to find motivation, to find even, you know, like you said, that formula that others have used. So tell me how that played a role in creating the mindset that you have today.
1: Yeah. I just remember early on having to look for other uh, entrepreneurs that were, being successful that had some success because I needed to see that it was possible. I mean, I would, I would ditch high school. You know, I was like, not, I just didn't want to be there. I wasn't, a good, <laughs> I wish I was a better student. Now looking back, I really wish I was a better student. Yeah, but I wasn't a good student. And, um, I had to, I, I had to do the 12th grade over twice <laughs> and but I can remember I never
0: made it to 12th grade, I so don't feel bad well I didn't, I didn't do
1: it once well, I'm in good company here but I, I remember ditching and going down to the beach and I would drive along the coastline and look up at the houses and just think man how how do each one of these people own these houses that you know I know are these are three million dollar homes at that time now they're 20 million dollar homes but at that time I'm going you know these are three million dollar homes how are they able to afford homes like this and there's just cool. tons of them, you know, all all the way down to Laguna. From do these people do? you know, Huntington Beach to Laguna. I'm driving, and all I see are these multi-million-dollar homes all the way down there. And I'm thinking, man, if the, all these people can achieve that type of success, there has to be room for me. Mm. Like, and that's just in this one place. That's not even up this far of the coast. That's not down to all the way down to San Diego. And, and everywhere in between who also, not just the coast, you know, but the inner inner cities too that have beautiful, you know, houses up on hills and all kinds of stuff. So you have these multi-million dollar homes everywhere. How are these people all able to afford these? And I know a lot of them are businesses. Some of them are, you know, might be uh, top lawyers or top attorneys. But the guys who are holding the real money are people that, that have invested or have their own businesses or doing that type of business. Mm. And so I just, I always push myself to think, Hey, look, I need to learn from these people. I need to find somebody who I'm looking up to because in San Bernardino, there's no mentors. There's nobody I'm going to look up to in that, in that place. And early on, I started listening to the Tony Robbins stuff. Um, soon as I saw, I saw his infomercial one time and I remember thinking, I I remember watching his infomercial and he said one thing that, that always got me and I'll never, ever forget this line. And I've repeated it a few times, but, um, it was just he said. He said, if you're the guy that can't afford this program, then you're exactly the guy that needs this program, and and that's what I did. I I, I took out my credit card and I used. You know, I had I think I had a two thousand dollar credit card and it was like seven $700 or eight hundred dollars for his program, and I was just thinking. You know, that just seemed like so much money to me. Like I didn't. It's weird now, but. I mean, it was a lot, a lot of money yeah. to me. I was thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pay. When you think about $800, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to pay $800 back. <laughs> so I bought the program and I would listen to it. This is probably 1994, 1994, or something like that. And I was a police officer at the time. And, uh, and so I was just listening to the program over and over again and just keep pushing. I would, and I would, I remember, I remember listening to the program and just being so, I mean, I would, I'd be driving. I remember when we started tap out and I was, I remember listening to Tony Robbins, um, program and, and I would just be so, I would just like take over me and I would be crying and mad and yelling at the window, how I can do this. And I punched the window one time and I cracked it, <laughs> I cracked the whole windshield. And accidentally, I didn't mean to, but I, I didn't know you could crack a windshield that easy. Wow.
0: Uh, <laughs> it should have been your up. hand first, not the windshield.
1: Well, yeah, that's what I thought, but it just cracked. And, wow. and I, the tattoos actually came from what I call no plan B. Mm. Or, Ships, you know, it was like I knew when I got these tattoos, there was no going back. I was never going to get a regular job again. I was never going to be a police officer again, and uh, and there was no plan B. All the doors were shut to me. The only way I have to go is that way, and that's that's the success of this company. And uh, and listen between listening to Tony Robbins stuff. I mean, I wish we'd have had podcasts back then. Yeah. I wish we'd been listening to these things and really had that influence. Uh, I was left to I would get these audio books on on tape you know on tape deck and I would play them in my cars all the time I remember having a walkman I'd be in the gym oh. and then on my walkman listening to the program or listening to somebody's tape or an autobiography or a great book and that's i was just constantly trying to learn and soak up that knowledge because I really felt like I felt you know I would listen to books like um think and grow rich mm-hmm. or, or how to win friends and influence influence people and i thought man these should be the these should be the courses that we're in in college yeah this is what should be a course this should be the course in high school why are we why is this information not in high school how is how is how to win friends and influence people not a class an elective class you can take in high school this is stupid i I feel like our education system is so jacked up and turned around we're we're kids do not know today when they take a class they do not know why they're taking that class mm. that's a mistake those kids should absolutely know why they're taking that class just like you do in college you know sometimes in some colleges I've seen this when you're going to take your course what that course stands for it says something like this course you would you might be an engineer you might work for you know it gives you all these different things that you would have as career choices if, right class like this sort of the path yeah your major your major if you majored in that Mm -hmm. and why do we not have that in high school why do we not have these choices I mean I understand you have to have a certain amount of math but no one when they're taking algebra nobody in the whole entire school understand why they're taking algebra they don't understand what algebra is for they don't understand what geometry is for or what they're going to use it for Mm -hmm. they understand that they may need it sometime in the future to do something but they I mean how many times I've used geometry in my post high school, um, there could, had to be a better way to learn it. There should have been, it could have been a tape course that lasted two days. I've learned everything that I need to know about <laughs> geometry or how to at least find out the answer I need to know if I needed to find it out.
0: You know, it's, it's fascinating, though, because obviously, you know, as entrepreneurs, a- anyone who's interested in growing, whether they're working for someone else or not, or just in their own life or in their relationship or in their body, one of the things that empowers people to take action to move forward to learn new tools is the why. And you're right. The kids have no context for why we're learning what we're learning. And if they did, bam, you made that connection between why. Oh, that makes sense. Now you're connected to the what, which is the learning, the tool in itself. And they're empowered, man. But I'd oh, love to see. I mean, I'd love to be at a getting ready to take a computer
1: course, and and you know that I'd love to see a, a story of Steve Jobs in there. Do they do that? You know, do they do a story of of of, of how Dell Computer started? Do they do? You know, I mean, like that's what these kids need to hear. Mm-hmm. They need to understand and yeah, like connect those dots between why they're learning what they're learning and who's done it in the past, and and who you're, you know create new idols for them because right now their idols are, you know, making these funky MTV videos and, and, you know, drinking until five in the morning and, you know, get, that's not what, and, and that's what they portray. But the yeah. truth is most of those guys are like us too. You know, when you think about oh, yeah. Jay, you know, I had, I had the opportunity to go have dinner with Jay Z and, and and pick his brain and talk to him he 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 was talking about buying our company and i mean that guy is not hanging out part he may be at parties not partying he's not a partying type guy right he's a businessman he just happens to be at a party mm. and Kids need to understand that. They think that life is about party. They look at these people's Instagrams and unfortunately, it's, it's not Jay's fault or any of these other guys' faults that are there. It's that's, They're just, if they want to show their life, they're showing their life. But these mm-hmm. kids are falling in love with who they think they are, not who they really are.
0: Right, it's the image. I mean, it's, it's the image that they're portrayed as. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, once you make it, you could just go out and party. You could spend all day doing this, running around, shopping, chasing women, whatever it might be. But what it takes to get there and stay there is an entirely different thing. And the and truth is those guys are still working as hard as they've ever worked. Many harder. I mean, look at Stallone. Stallone's working harder than he ever has. You know? Right. I mean, yep. he still producing stuff. He's got another, what was it, Creed, the movie, yep. coming out. And we're dating ourselves because this will be a year from now. People will listen to this again. Um, a Creed, and Stallone's in it, and he's producing the whole thing, and he's working harder than ever, man. He could easily sit back on his laurels. You, Dan, could sit back on your laurels in many respects right now if you didn't have the entrepreneurial spirit. I know you're doing other things. We're going to talk about that because you're getting out there and you're speaking. In fact, if you want to reach Dan, it's speaks.com? Yeah. Yep, and okay. on Facebook, Dan Caldwell Speaks. Because you're, you're getting out there and you're doing a lot of talks just like what we're referring to in terms of educating kids that they've got what it takes, sharing stories, your success stories, relating to what you've done. And then, Sharon, you said something that I loved in, in one of the talks I saw that was videotaped. You said, you know, I guarantee you, and these are, I don't know these kids were 12, 13 years old or so, I guarantee you I am not the smartest person in this room. That 95% of you are smarter than I am is what you were saying to them. And they're like, well, how how is that possible? You just, you're driving the Lamborghini. I'm not, you know, and just telling them that what they can achieve is infinite. Now let's take those tools you're learning and put it into the context of that, of a belief in yourself and what you can do and what the potential is in your life. And again, when we talk about that, we're not just talking about 12, 13 year olds. We're talking about entrepreneurs today that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s maybe need to reignite that fire that's what this is all about epic man is all about reigniting that fire so what dan's been sharing with us are the tools the mindset that has helped him create something that is indeed epic and is going to continue to grow it's a brand that's going to continue to grow as well i know you've got your uh your family there man so say hello <laughs> sorry go ahead he doesn't want the he doesn't want the notoriety huh yeah. come on in man <laughs> hey (laughs) that is one good-looking kid I hope it doesn't go to his head (laughs) yeah I'm sorry let's shift gears from mindset to strategy a little bit yeah let's talk about let's talk about um, tap out specifically because you started this company some some 10 odd years ago but it wasn't just you you and a partner kind of started this thing let's talk about that partnership a little bit and how that evolved along the way That ends part one of our in-depth interview with Dan Caldwell, the founder of the extraordinarily successful mixed martial arts clothing company, Tap Out. Make sure you download, listen to, and share the next episode of Epic Men Radio for part two, when we dig deep into the meteoric growth of the Tap Out brand, the real cost of partnerships, how to use your story to tap into your audience, and when is it time to actually tap out and walk away. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and rattle some cages.
2: That's how winning is done.
1: Thanks for listening to Epic Men Radio. Now get off your ass and give us a review on iTunes. And make sure you subscribe to and share Epic Men Radio with other men in your tribe so no one will ever miss a single empowering episode. You can also find us at EpicMen.com.